If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tom O'Pennekip, and you're listening to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there. Maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone, you can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We got some new T-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, fa- uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations. If you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. All right, guys, let's jump into the film review. Um, just want to say, first off, Appreciate all of our blood donors. The past few weeks, we've been doing blood donor reviews. Really appreciate y'all's donations. It means a lot to us. But tonight, we're jumping into the January theme, which is there is no theme. We just pick whatever the hell we want to. And Brian is kicking us off with his pick, and he's picking a a relatively new movie, and I believe it was 2023's horror movie of the year, according to, what, Fangoria or whatever Dustin sent in the group chat the other day. day. Uh, (laughs) Brian, what uh, (laughs) – overdue. Definitely overdue. (laughs) <laughs> Brian, what's your pick tonight? Was this 22 or 23? Mainly 32, uh, released in 23. Gotcha, got it, got it. Well, I guess finished uh, in 22. So I've been uh, vocally uh, A24's biggest critic. You know, so far I've only liked X, X Machina, and The Witch of the stuff that I've seen that they've done. And by God, even a blind squirrel gets a nut every now and again. Is that a pause? I should be a pause, probably. Pause. No, um, Get your nut off. But, <laughs> but to me, this one is uh, is far and away the best thing I've 
I've seen produced by A24. Like Dustin said, new year, new me, I guess. But this thing had a ton of hype, and to me it was completely justified. I mean, we've done a ton of directorial debuts and you know, directors that came from music videos. But I think this is the first movie we've done where the directors, Philippa Brothers, came from YouTube. Like, There's actually a, a quick little one-minute video Fandango put out on YouTube about their journey. That that's that's worth a watch. But this this movie is so unique, you know. And it at least the stuff that I've seen to where it's like, okay, this is a horror movie in today's world with social media and this generation. And all of this social media shit just tells me I'm getting old as fuck. But anyway, back to the directors. These guys were apparently even offered a DCEU film and turned it down to do this, which obviously was the right choice. I know Dustin will agree with that. Yep. And uh, so this movie, I think it's got great character development, great gore, and just, in my opinion, a great overall horror experience. I loved this movie. All right, I'll go next real quick. As I don't know, maybe, I don't know, it's between me and Dustin, who are the biggest A24 fans. You know, we're in this together. Shout out to the meme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brian's favorite meme. Uh, I don't I don't hate this movie by any means, but I did think it kind of was a little overhyped, and I'll get into that at the end in my final rating. And I think it mostly has to do with Mia's character. Like she's a great, she's a phenomenal actress, but just some things about her character I just didn't didn't care for. I felt like the you know the third wheel kind of was shoehorned in for no reason. Like they could have done without that the whole time. And there's other things that I had nitpicks about, which I'll get into later on. And uh, yeah, I like the movie, but I don't love it. It it was definitely not 2023 horror movie of the year for me personally. But go ahead, Dustin. Well, me either, but you know what? That tracks. That tracks that Nico wouldn't like the one A24 movie that I really did like. So there you go. I do like it. I just don't I just don't love it. <laughs> True. So first of all, Brian, um, you need to go watch The Iron Claw or when it comes to streaming, out don't even rent it, buy it, because it is the best A twenty four movie they've made. Um but yeah, Nico, I, I love A twenty four as well. For the most part. Uh you like Pearl a lot more than me. Uh, you like X a lot more than me, but that's not to say I dislike them. Anyway, that's a sidetrack. Um, this movie, I saw a trailer for it when I went to see another movie earlier this year. I don't remember which one it was because CTE and all. But um, I remember seeing the trailer, and I think I even texted you guys, hey, new A24 mm-hmm. movie, talk to me, it looks really good. And then, fast forward, so I've got uh, Regal Unlimited, so I can go, you know, unlimited movies for $18 a month. I can go see anytime any when I want. Ooh, I also have that money. Yeah, $18 a month. You heard that right? Ooh, um, that's right. <laughs> one of my best friends, his girlfriend is a buyer for Regal and Regal does this thing called Mystery Mondays where once a month, one Monday a month, they show a movie that's not out yet and they don't tell you what it is beforehand. So for $5, the general public can go get a ticket go to the theater, sit down, and they don't know what the movie is until it comes on the screen. Well, um, she informed me, go watch the Mystery Monday movie this week. But she wouldn't tell me what it was. And so I, all, all you can see when you go to look at it is the rating, which makes sense because if you want to take your family and you see it's rated R, you don't want to do that. I understand. And then they also show you the runtime. And so here I am looking at the runtime and the rating, and I just go to IMDb, and I'm just like looking at all the movies scheduled to come out, trying to figure out what it is, trying to figure out what it is. Let me tell you, when it came up on screen that it was A24, I was like, oh, shit. And then they had a little message from the Filippo brothers beforehand 
explaining how much this movie meant to him and thanking everyone for coming to watch it, blah, blah, blah. I was so hyped. I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm getting to see this movie. I think it was like two months early. And then it didn't disappoint. I really liked this movie. I mean, I've been very vocal on this show about my disdain for uh, possession or, you know, evil spirits and stuff like that in movies. This one didn't bother me. It definitely didn't freak me out like Paranormal Activity, for example. Um, It's just, this is incredible. I think the storytelling is really, really good. I think the cinematography and the directing is very good. I mean, for this to be a debut film, you would not have guessed that. Now, right. You know, I, I get it that A24, uh, there, this is not your typical directorial debut, I guess, because a lot of people go with a, a smaller production company or a smaller, uh, or even a bigger company, but they don't get the budget and the free reign that I think A24 allows. And man, they knocked it out of the park. So I really like this movie. I do think, uh, I don't know that it was my horror movie of the year, 2023. I think uh, I really love Scream 6. Um, I saw some great ones. Nefarious had the best performance, single performance um, that I saw. And Renfield was a lot of fun. But when I think about best movies of 2023, I mean, it's definitely in the top top tier, upper echelon. That's fair. Uh, Any more opening thoughts? We just jump into the scene by scene. No, sir. Uh, Mike's not with us tonight. Y'all keep him in your thoughts and prayers. He's having some things going on. Uh, we'll miss you tonight. All right, the film starts with Cole going to a huge house party looking for his brother, Duckett. He asks partygoers if they've seen him to no success. A woman cutting food tells him to get his brother under control. Cole breaks the bedroom door down, and we see Duckett shirtless with huge wounds on his back. Cole snaps on people trying to film them. He turns around and is stabbed in the chest. Duckett walks outside and stabs himself in the head with the butcher knife. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, that opening scene when I first saw in theaters shocked the hell out of me. Title card transitioned us to Mia, who is watching videos of her deceased mother. Her dad, Max, tells her her aunt wants to speak with her. She asks Mia what her future plans are with school. Mia is washing dishes now, and her dad asks her some small talk questions. Mia gets a call from a boy asking for her to pick him up. Riley and James are making fun of a kid as James lights up a cigarette. Mia pulls up and scolds them for smoking. Mia and Riley jam out the chandelier until they pull up on a maimed kangaroo in the road. Riley says to put it out its misery, and Mia agrees. But the moment is too big, and she pisses down her leg. She swerves around the kangaroo to suffer. Mia goes into Jade's room, and they both molly whopper with a pillow, and Riley says he's snitching on Jade for not picking him up. Mia tells Jade about the dying kangaroo and calls her out for missing her calls. Mia tells Jade she wants to go to Haley's to see if these rituals are real. Mia wants Daniel, Jade's current boyfriend, to touch her Gucci. All right. Weird situationship between these three. Sue gets home and she apologized to Mia for not making it to her mom's remembrance. Sue calls Jade out for sneaking out and questions her about Daniel. Lock your door on the way out, she tells Jade. The girls walk out the door and Riley waits for them. He says so snitching her for not picking him up if he can't go. Mia watches more videos of the rituals as they head to Haley's party. That's opening scenes. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, so I do like the cold open here with the brothers at the party. My only real complaint about it all would be that it it feels a tad disconnected from the rest of the movie just because the rest of the movie is from Mia's point of view. So we only see stuff she sees. We don't find out stuff she knows. And obviously, this isn't. Uh, what it does do, though, is establish you know quickly the realism I talked about at the start with people you know, immediately pulling out their phones to film Duckett's episode. Nobody giving a shit to help. Nobody doing anything but filming it or streaming it. On another sidebar, seriously, fuck this generation, man. Humanity is doomed. But yeah, Nico, you're right. 
that opening kill was fantastic. Very, very shocking, jarring even. But the rest of this is just some character development here. I mean, especially on Mia, you know, straight from the director's mouth, this movie is about connections, you know, real ones and false ones. And here shows Mia's disconnect, you know, since her mom passed and gives you that backstory. You know, Sophie Wilde, I think, is, um, is amazing in this and her performance all the way through. And I think she's a star in the making, you know, because the backbone of this movie is based on her grief and loss and her ability to portray that is such a huge part to not only the story, but to making this a believable movie. And to me, she puts on an amazing show throughout. Uh, it does do a great job of developing the close relationship and, you know, foreshadowing the, the end with not being able to kill the kangaroo and, and put it out of its misery. Um, fun fact, this is actually all set in uh, Adelaide. I think is how you say that. Australia, mm-hmm. um, the hometown of uh, Philippa Brothers, like we talked about earlier. But I'm you know, pretty sure it was shot in Canada, but at least it was all set there. And uh, listen, sometimes I give flowers. Sometimes I shit on the cinematography. But man, this is to me some of the best camera shots I've seen in a long ass time. I don't know if it's the Philippa brothers or cinematographer Aaron McCliskey who deserves the props there, but there are some absolutely beautiful shots all throughout this movie. I mean, the way they shoot the dad in the background here with him blurred out of focus, again, symbolism, showing that disconnect, you know, stuff like that is shot like someone who has been in the business a long time and not like you talked about, Dustin, a, a directorial debut um that stood out big time to me throughout yeah absolutely uh, you mentioned adelaide south australia uh, i want to take a moment to shout out rhea ripley that's her hometown that is my uh muscle mommy queen so if you're listening i just need a moment of your time anyway i really like the opening we're dropped into a party where shit's already going down the guy's frantically looking for his brother and finds him with cuts all over him and he's talking about a conversation with their dead dad and then, boom, our first two kills, or at least I thought. Turns out Cole didn't die. But anyway, the the first stabbing is just so unexpected, and then the second one's just gnarly. He stabbed himself in the fucking face. Wild. Uh, I really like how we go from that to a very calm, normal, and unrelated scene with Mia to get to know her and her situation. We can tell she seems to be troubled, and even though she lives in a nice home, she clearly doesn't have the best home life. Then we meet Riley. They do a good job at introducing our characters. Uh, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel rushed. And it also doesn't feel like it drags. So I really like that. Shout out to Chandelier by Sia. The little carpool karaoke we got there. Fun fact, that song was actually banned from Roosters in Knoxville because I'd play it multiple times a night and sing it at the top of the lungs with my boys <laughs> while hammered. Elite, elite song. Uh <laughs> Not every day we see a kangaroo dying in the road in the movie we cover, so there's also that. It was also a good scene to show Mia's character's conscience, and they did a good job later in the film at you know calling back to that. Got good dynamic between Mia and Jade. They do a good job at showing how close they are. Like It really is, and we hear it later in the film. She's not a friend. She's family. Uh, great move by Riley to leverage Jade and to let him sneak out with them. That's good sibling dynamic there, so I think they, they nailed that as well. It's just a very solid opening. All right, we're at the party now, and Haley calls him out for being an hour late. She doesn't seem thrilled seeing Riley or Mia. Mia acts awkwardly until Jay checks on her. Daniel arrives, and Mia calls him ex-boyfriend and hugs the two of them. Haley makes it clear she doesn't like Mia, and she tells Jay she's flirting with her boyfriend. They start the ritual up now, and Mia volunteers to go first after seeing Jade hold Daniel's hand. They tell her after 90 seconds they'll want to stay in her. They strap Mia to the chair and light the candle. 
and opens the door and blowing it out, closes it. They set the hand down in front of her and Mia holds the hand. She says, talk to me and freaks out seeing a dead person in front of her. She's peer pressured into doing it again. Talk to me. She sees the dead spirit. I let you in. She snaps back and her eyes dilate. She's very loopy and silly acting now. She looks around and points saying, there he is. They like you, she says to Riley, and she barks at Daniel. It sounds like she's drowning, and a door opens and slams. He's behind you now, she tells Riley. Josh can't get the hand from Mia's hand, and she chants, run, to Riley. Riley is crying, and they finally get the hand from her. Mia comes to and laughs it off, saying it was amazing. Back at Jade and Riley's house, and Riley tries to sleep in his sister's bed. He's scared, but she denies him. He goes to the living room and gets in bed with Mia. She asks him if the hand thing scared him. She, confess, she confesses she gets nightmares and tells of her recurring nightmare of not seeing her reflection in the mirror like she doesn't exist. He asks how the hand thing felt. Amazing, like I was glowing. I could feel and hear everything. He asks her how her mom died. She tells him she took too many sleeping pills by accident and her dad couldn't get the door open the next morning. She tried to get help but couldn't. Mia tells Riley she doesn't feel alone anymore as they lie in bed listening to the rain. We see a spooky hand take Riley's phone and rub his face. Next day at school, Jade asks Haley if she's busy tonight. Daniel wants to do the hand ritual. Party at Jade's, 10 p.m. All right, Brian, so next set of scenes, what do you think? First of all, did they ever tell, like, what Haley's problem with Mia was at the start of this? Like, I, I'm fi- I'm fine with that, not knowing, you know, now. But now that I think about it, I was like, I don't remember if they ever actually said what had happened or what she was pissed about or why she said, oh, fuck, yeah, whatever, when she walked in the I door. I think she's just a uh, socially awkward person who brings the mood down, and that's enough oh, reason maybe. for anyone to dislike someone like that at a party. There you go. I, I respect the fact that they didn't explain it, I think, and uh, you know, just, just got across the, the point that there was some tension via, via some pass there, so I like that. But yeah, this may be my favorite set of scenes in the movie. Like it, it gives us all the rules we need here. You know, we know the 90 second one will definitely be broken. Sidebar, my wife does say that 90 seconds feels like a lifetime, but hey, that's a completely different subject. <clears throat> also, the uh, blowing the candle out and shutting the door, that definitely goes along with this whole seance thing that we, you know, see in movies a lot. Shout out Insidious, friend of the show, Lynn Shea, Dustin's favorite person in the world interview. Don't go out there.com. <sighs> Uh, but yeah, I like the old Ouija board movies and, you know, teen parties used to be focused on things like that. But yeah, everything about this party scene, I love, you know, like I kind of touched on, you know, it shows this new fucked up generation. And like the director said in the interview, it used to be, don't go in the scary forest, but now it's okay. Go in the scary forest, but film it for attention. And, you know, this partly shows exactly that, you know, it makes it relatable whether you're the one shooting everything for social media or if you're Mia and aren't attached to your phone and trying to talk to people and getting blown off because everyone's looking at their phones and ignoring basically life at a party. Deep shit there. Um, These possession shots, I think, are absolutely amazing. The one shots going around the circle, and like I said earlier, with everything being shot through Mia's perspective, the Filippo brothers didn't linger on the ghosts. You know, beautiful shots, beautiful effects. Uh, most everything is done practical, but you can you can see some of the visual effects on the irises in their in her pupils, especially here that that grows you know just subtly as, as time moves on and and she's more and more possessed. The uh, the director said they originally had had her have uh, wavy hair like Mia was in water since she was possessed by that drowned lady as as VFX, and they took it out because it seemed out of place in the realistic grounding of the movie. And I'm glad. 
Um, instead, you can you can tell they use sound and this amazing performance from Sophie to, to kind of show you that, okay, we're almost in this d- different realm, which is another thing. I mean, it's never said whether it's demons or just souls in this limbo state, and I'm, I'm glad it didn't do that either. You know, I, I like it being up for interpretation in that regard. Like Dustin kind of mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, it didn't bother him. And if it if this was a, a Ouija board movie and, and it was only, you know, using demonic stuff and that would bother me. And this just didn't. Uh, last thing and I'll shut up. There's a little goof here when Mia becomes possessed for the first time at, at the party and exactly 2041, I believe, 20 minutes and 41 seconds, the microphone of the film crew, it's visible in the lower right corner of the frame. So. You'll never unsee that. More character development here throughout, including the foreshadowing nightmare of Mia's, but just an overall 10 to 10 group of scenes for me. I loved it. So the quote-unquote party, if you want to call it that, is lame as hell. These kids suck at having a good time. (laughs) I really feel for Mia here. She's so socially awkward, doesn't fit in, and I do think Haley's a real asshole. She's too harsh towards her. I get what you're saying, though, Brian. They don't explain it, but that's just how I took it. They just just explain it as she's a wet fart at a party. Very creepy and vague introduction to the ritual. Shit, if I could talk. They bring out the hand. Brilliant design on that. They can make a killing in merchandising, selling replicas. Uh, It's just something so simple that any horror fan would want to have on their shelf. Shan's probably got three or four of them already, and Brian does too. Uh, Whoa. Dead guys. Yeah, yeah, you can't hide it, brother. Look look behind you. You can't can't see it if you're listening to us, but uh, Brian has a Smithsonian (laughs) collection behind him anyway no when the dead guy shows up that's a pretty creepy moment and mia does a great job at showing how spooked she is really unsettling the pupils dilate that large when they uh they let the dead person in very good touched along with how distressed the makeup is i think that it's a it's a great look when they let them in of course they go over 90 seconds the first time that's a little too convenient with me a little bit of a nitpick i have I would have rather they do it a couple times with Mia, maybe Mia's second or even third time is when she has trouble letting it go. Just seems like kind of rushed there because if you go over the first time, I don't know how much of a hurry I would have been to do it again, especially because they put such an emphasis on if you go over 90 seconds, they're in you forever and they won't leave. Uh, I like Riley being so scared and needing to sleep with someone afterwards. Good added layer to show how terrifying of an experience it is and gives us a chance to hear Mia talk about it more. And we get to hear her back, her side of the backstory of her mom's death in a way that feels pretty natural. It also shows Riley's vulnerability at his age. Uh, very creepy seeing the dead, soggy hand touch Riley's face after Bia took his AirPods out. This is another great set of scenes with some action that sets up our story. All right. Uh, this set of scenes is probably my favorite in the movie. Daniel knocks on the door and Sue slams the door in his face. She tells Jade they better not be having a party. She questions Daniel and says he's good as he denies the party claim. She questions Riley and James now and they both deny it as well. Sue barges in the room and tells me if there's a party, she's banned from their house and says to Daniel her daughter's vagina is off limits. That night we see them getting the room set up for the hand ritual. Haley throws a cigarette on the floor and gets a drink. Mia asks where they got the hand. He says it's the hand of a psychic and embalmed. He says there's an actual hand in there that was connected to the dead. You know, white people shit. Haley says it's the hand of a Satanist. Josh straps Daniel to the chair and he asks Jade to film him. He grabs the hand. Talk to me. I let you in. His head snaps back and he's choking. Jade tells Haley to stop it, but she holds them off. Daniel looks at Jade. He says he hates when you touch him. You make him soft. He moans and looks at Mia deviantly. 
He starts touching his body until the chair falls over. The dog walks over and makes out with Daniel. They get the hand free and Daniel is embarrassed. He tells Haley to to delete it, but she says she's posting it. Haley asks Jade if she wants to go. Mia volunteers to go, but her thought dog must go and no cameras. We get a montage of several participants doing the hand ritual, having fun seemingly. Josh says this shit never gets old as Riley and James want a shot, but Jade tells him no. Mia suggests maybe only 60 seconds. Mia says she doesn't have to be a bitch on all things Riley. And he says, you just want to suck Daniel's dick. You don't give a shit about anyone else. She calls him out for being scared and they both admit they don't like each other. Haley calls Jade boring and she storms out. Daniel chases after her and Riley begs for 60 seconds. Mia suggests 50 and they strap Riley to the chair. Haley says she'll time it and Riley gets scared at seeing the spirit after saying, talk to me. Mia comforts him and he says, I let you in. His head snaps back and he says, I'm so sorry. I never want to hurt you. I miss you so much, me. Mia realized that's her mom. Haley says it's been 50 seconds, but Mia wants to talk to her mom more. Riley begins banging his head on the table and tries to rip his eye out. The chair slides into the wall, shattering the window. He bangs his head against a desk now, and Jade uses her hand to block his last head blow. They get Riley free, and Mia stands in shock. She walks out stoically. She sees a ghostly figure appear and disappear from behind the door. She's washing blood off her hands as police question them, and Jade lets their mom know what happened. All right, Brian's next set of scenes. What do you think? So I absolutely love the start of the set of scenes with the mom trying to find out if there's a party. The back and forth with everybody from... If there's a party tonight on God, I'm going to punch you in the face. That sounds like my exact dialogue with my 14 year old son. And uh, you, my daughter's vagina prohibited. Like just some, just some amazing writing there from everybody involved. It felt realistic. I loved everything about it. Uh, I also loved how we get Daniel's possession, but we are again seeing it through Mia's point of view where we aren't seeing the ghost demon thing. We are only seeing it from the outside and even cooler we are seeing it shot through a, 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 an iPhone while the rest of it's out of focus. I mean, it's just another beautiful shot there. And now I was like the others watching him make out with the dog. Like I had to look away. I couldn't watch that shit. I, I can watch people's heads get torn off. And that made me want to throw up. Though I'll say that the rest of this is pretty up tempo, you know, fun with the, with the shots of everyone taking a turn and laughing, nothing scary at all. And I didn't really catch on to that until the rewatch because right when Riley goes under, the rest of the movie just takes a drastic shift in tone. And there's no more of those high points. And by high points, I mean like fun moments, joking moments. It's all tension-fueled. No more fucking around like the rest of the way from that that moment on. And the uh, last thing I've got on here is just that Riley head slam. It's such a brutal and just disturbing moment. And the aftermath with the way this is filmed is handled so absolutely beautifully with the camera doing a pan around with Mia with the you know, sound of, of the panic and commotion seeming so far away. And that eerie score, it like it puts you in her headspace and you're basically in shock as an audience member with her, you know, and then we get more of that disconnection uh, with, with hearing the scratching and seeing the mom through the blurred stained glass as we hear the phone call between Jade and Sue about Riley. Man, this is this is a fantastic another fantastic group of scenes. Go ahead, Dustin. I love Sue grilling Daniel and then asking Riley about the party. That's good stuff. Really liked her telling Mia to stay off the weed like she's Stephen A. Smith and then telling J- uh, Daniel that Jade's legs are closed for business. That's some funny mother dialogue there. 
I liked hearing the story of the hand makes it make a little bit more sense as far as why it does what it does. And then talk about making a girl feel bad about herself. He looks right at Jade and tells her she makes Daniel's penis soft and then has an orgasm in front of everyone while Frenching the dog. And he hasn't even kissed Jade yet. That They got to break up after that. How do you come back from that? Uh, it was yeah. funny when Mia said, uh, get the thought dog out. Dialogue in this movie is pretty solid. That's that's good. During this montage, uh, montage is when I think Mia should have had trouble letting go of the hand. It would have made more sense to me. It was like, I don't know why you would go back. I don't know. And do it that quickly. Uh, Mia really overstepped by siding with Riley there, but a real dumb decision by Jade to leave the room. What did she think would happen? Like, you're the ones responsible for your little brother. Everyone else in the room wants to let him do it, and then you leave. So, kind of on her. Gut-wrenching when it turns out it's Mia's mom, because Mia misses her mom, but also because, of course, she wouldn't want it to stop at 50 seconds. And then Riley did a number on himself. It was like in Liar Liar when Fletcher was kicking his own ass. Then (laughs) Mia sees her mom outside the door, and that was tough. So I get why she had to have, you know, held on for too long earlier in the movie. So that would make more sense. But I still, I would have changed the timing of that. I don't want to harp on that, but there's really not much for me to nitpick. This is another good set of scenes. Max and Mia get to their house and Max asks what happened. She says she doesn't know and they both wish they were more honest to each other. She thinks he's holding back info on her mom from her. Mia goes to her room revealing she has the hand. She orders Australia's version of an Uber and makes it to the hospital to visit Riley. Jay tells her she doesn't want her here and Sue stops her from seeing Riley too. She asks if she gave him something and she denies it and asks what her son did to her. She threatens to call the police if she tries to come back. Mia walks through the hospital and she sees her mother. She follows her into a bathroom. Doors begin to slam and she hears scratching coming from a stall. A woman's voice begs for help and Mia knocks the door open, but no one is there. Mia walks out and Daniel stops her in the stairs checking on her. They're driving home and Daniel asks her if her dad's pissed. He says he's going to his cousins. His parents can't know. Mia says he can crash at her house, but he says it might be weird if he stays there. She says they're friends. It's not illegal, and she doesn't want to be alone. Daniel doesn't think she spoke to her mom, but Mia says it was and knew her nickname. Mia wants to check, but Daniel says he's never doing the hand ritual again. He sees the carving he did in her room, and they reminisce. He pulls his hand away from Mia. As you can see, she still likes him. Jade walks out to the car and sits with her mom, who's hotboxing a cigarette. Sue pulls her hand away from Jade, who's clearly distraught. Daniel is passed out as Mia watches videos of she and her mother. Mia turns her phone off, tearing up. She rolls over and lies next to Daniel's leg. She wakes up and it's light out, and she kisses Daniel. We hear a loud banging on a door, and we see Max dragging Rhea's body out the room. Mia sees her bloody hands and broken fingernails. She sits up and sees a spirit in the corner of the room. It crawls towards the bed and begins sucking on Daniel's foot, which got a huge pop out of me in the movie theater. Mia yells for Daniel to wake up. Daniel awake, seeing Mia was sucking on his toes. She says, whatever they contacted has followed us, and he storms out of the house. She begins smacking herself and hitting the walls. She lights a candle and holds the hand, saying, please, Mom, talk to me. She sees her mother sitting in front of her now. Mia asks if she killed herself. Not on purpose, she says. I'd never want to leave you, ever. Rhea tells her Riley needs help, and Mia gets into bed with her mother holding her. All right, Brian's next set of scenes. What do you think? Look, sucking on toes is insane behavior. I'm pretty sure that's how you get AIDS. Anyway, um, set of scenes is hard to watch and from a human perspective to me. So, and let me explain what I mean. Like, for example, Sue being so pissed at Mia, totally justified. Like, her talking to Mia the way she did, totally justified. 
I mean, she's freaking out with her son looking the way that he does on a bed while none of these teenagers would tell her what really the fuck happened. Completely get that. But it's hard to watch because, I mean, you're seeing this from Mia's point of view. So already you know how disconnected she feels. You know what really happened. You see the fractured relationship with her father. So you're starting to see this incredible like slip into madness from her. And it's brilliantly done, I think. Because it's not that typical slip into insanity that we're used to seeing from horror, like, you know, The Shining or Amityville or whatever. Like, it's this manipulation by these demon spirits or whatever that takes advantage of her. And it's just tragic as hell because, I mean, it doesn't end the way that you'd expect either with with good overcoming evil. You know, spoiler alert. It's very, very unique. And I love it. Uh, I do. I kind of don't understand, though, like how she keeps seeing her mom in the hospital and the spirit from her her first possession, like, like with Riley and the toe sucking thing, like the door was never closed with Mia's spirit as well, but we saw that it was, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she, she even took a turn in that possession O Rama before the Riley thing happened like everyone else did. So I guess that part is just like a little confusing to me. I don't know. Uh, I know that they, they say that there's a little part that eventually goes away, but I thought that meant like if the door was never shut, I don't know. But then again, you know, all of that is kids telling kids hearsay. So who's to know if that's even right. But anyway, um, not sure why Mia has the hand when she gets home. Like, it seems like Joss, Joss would have wanted to keep it with him. That's uh, the source of their entertainment. That's all these kids have going for them is getting high off this demon chasing. So I'm not sure why she ended up with it. That was too convenient for me. Then at the hospital, I'm not sure why she, uh, Sue turned on Mia like that. Like, I get it. That's her baby boy in the hospital bed looking like Rocky Dennis from Mask. But unless Jay told her that Mia smashed his face on the table, why would she be mad at her? Well, she doesn't know what happened. The hospital could have done a drug test and seen that he didn't have anything in his system. So the whole, did you give him something bit doesn't work for me. So Sue should have been worried instead of angry to me. And if she was angry, it should have been at all of them. Don't single out Mia. It wasn't her fault. And then Mia sees her mom again in the reflection of the window. They do a good job at slowly building that up. I like that. And it's followed up with a great scene in the bathroom when she hears her mom in the stall and then bursts it open and there's no one there. Then Mia offering Daniel to stay at her house. She ain't slick. She's trying to get her Gucci touched one way or another. I see I see what's going on. <laughs> Sad stuff when Mia's watching the video with her and her mom on her phone losing a parent is rough by far the hardest thing I've ever been through. So that fucked with me. Trippy ass dream sequence follows where she goes from kissing Daniel to having blood and wood under her fingertips. And it's creepy as hell when she wakes up and there's someone sitting in the corner in her room, but it gets even worse. She's got Daniel's foot in her mouth. Fucking gross. And what's she talking about? No, I wasn't. Bitch, you can't tell from the taste in your mouth that you were uh, on some freak shit. You got a foot in your mouth. I'd probably beat the hell out of myself, too, if I was fucking beat. Uh, terrible, terrible decision to do the ritual alone. I get missing your mom. Truly, I do. But that's a risk you can't take. And her mom saying Riley needs help is an oh shit moment. Because you almost forget about Riley in this moment. You're so far, for lack of a better term, sucked into what's going on in this bedroom. <laughs> That you kind of forget about Riley a little bit. And the fact that he needs help makes you more concerned about him. So they do a good job at tying that back in and bringing you right back into that uh, headspace. This is another really good set of scenes. 
listen, I can't take credit for this, but I got to put it out on the airwaves. Dude, Dustin just texted in the group chat that uh, Mia was, you know, maybe a member of the Foot Clan. Are you kidding me? That shit was fucking hilarious. The Foot Clan. The Foot Clan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jade and Sue are watching Riley until Sue gets a call from his father. Jade asks him to say something, and he bites her. He falls over and begins banging the back of his head against the wall. He starts licking the blood off the floor, and he seizes and snaps on the nurses trying to control him. Mia is with the group, and someone asks who showed the police the video. Mia asks, how's Riley? Josh says, if you die while it's in you, it has you forever. No one else has seen anything, and Daniel tells him about Mia sucking his feet. Josh says he got the hand from Duckett. He was seeing things outside the ritual. They find Cole at a bus stop and he's pissed saying they used Duckett and weren't real friends to him. He gets on the bus and Mia chases after him. She sits across from Cole and says she knows what it's like to lose someone close. Cole says the things he let in messed him up. Cole says his body should kick the spirit out, but it's not. It's killing Riley. Cole says Josh needs to stop fucking people's lives up. You think or you reckon the Australian accent gave me a laugh. Jade storms out and calls Mia out for letting Riley do it and sleeping with Daniel. Mia begins crying and asks they blew the candle out. Mia says we must do something, and Josh hands her the bag with the hand. Haley says to just burn the hand when they're done. Mia, Jade, and Daniel get to the hospital, and she denies a call from her dad again. Sue is gone, so they must be quick. Mia is in shock seeing Riley's face. She puts the hand in Riley's hand, and they light the candle. Talk to him, she says. They blow the candle out, but nothing happens. They try again, and nothing. Mia says, what if I do it and try to talk to him? Riley, talk to me. And Mia sees a little girl. Is there a boy here? Him? Mia is taken to Riley by the girl and she sees Riley being held by all the spirits. She tells him he's being hurt and they're not going to stop. She kicks the hand away and cries violently. Mia is back home when her dad stops her. He says he hasn't been honest with her but wants to be. He reads the note to Mia her mother left behind. They both begin crying as he reads her words. Mia denies it saying she didn't do it. She told me. He hugs her until Mia sees her mother's spirit who denies that what she read or what he read. She goes to her room and her mom says he's lying and she didn't write it. That's not your dad. She tells her that's not her dad. They're imitating him and he's going to hurt you. Riley is suffering. He can't stay there. Riley needs to die and needs put out of his misery. I'll look after him. Max breaks in and Mia sees his disfigured face. They fight and he gets her to the floor. She grabs some scissors and the real Max gets into the room and is stabbed in the neck by Mia. Brian, what do you think of that set of scenes? First of all, do you think that Parker Posey in Bo is Afraid knew the rule here that if you die with it inside of you, that they have you forever? Oh, Jesus. Just curious. Uh, Oh, Riley looks rough in this set of scenes. Like, I know I talked about the practical effects earlier, but I don't think I gave credit to Paul Catt and uh, Nick Nicolau and that whole makeup team. I mean, man, his look. And you know, coupled with him biting Jade and slamming his head into the wall again and licking his blood, good God, it was terrifying. Like that makes me think that it's a demon right there. But you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, they never really go on with that. But that was pretty damn evil. My other nitpick is the convo where uh, Mia somehow convinces Jade and them to let her, you know, do it to Riley again. Like I don't know. I like where it went. But that little three-minute span with Cole and quickly getting to that, it's just, I don't know. Like I said, it's easily forgotten about, and I don't really know of a way to script doctor that one, but the scene in the hospital, it gets me back. Like, you know, and then the shots of of Riley being tortured, that shit was terrifying. 
makes me forget about the issues I had very quickly. Uh, but also, they didn't blow the candle out after she pulled away from that little girl. And she already never closed the door, quote unquote, in that last set of scenes where her mom went to sleep, cuddled next to her. So I'm just saying, like, kind of asking for it, kind of not following the rules here. Also, peek behind the curtain, the notes for the scene by uh, the scene by scene stops at, quote, Mia scissoring Max. And whoa, Nico, that wording was wild. Like, I'll just say that. That's wild, my man. And I will say, though. Showing the real Max, I, I kind of wish they hadn't in the set of scenes. Like, I, I wish they would have only shown you the fake Max until the bane on the door trying to get in. Like, you kind of, it kind of gives it away. You, you kind of know what, what's what's coming at that point. You kind of know she's going to kill the, the wrong guy on purpose, on accident. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, well, we heard Riley needs help, and then the little shit goes insane in the shower. Holy shit, man, that was intense. Daniel, my boy, you got to work on your lying. Don't tell your girl, girlfriend that another girl was stuck in your feet. Say Mia saw things in her dream, but you didn't see it. Deny, deny, deny. Do not volunteer that information. You're just asking to get dumped. Real shitty move by Haley to throw Mia under the bus like that. We didn't decide anything. You did. Bitch. Pretty big leap in logic for Mia to assume his spirit is disconnected from his body. Like, honestly, that makes no sense that she would know to think that that quickly, honestly. Um very disturbing that the little girl takes Mia to Riley in what I assume is hell. Didn't like that one bit. That was a very uncomfortable scene. But it was very well shot. Very tough scene when Max reads the letter to Mia. And then unsettling when she sees her mom and hears it's not true. Very confusing, though, when her mom says that's not Max and they're imitating him. Because, because, or because what if that's not her mom and they're imitating her? What then? Like honestly, I don't, I don't really like that that uh, there was a fake Max because if they could do that, then why wouldn't they just imitate all kinds of people? Imitate uh, Riley, imitate Jade, Sue to to fuck with Mia, but they didn't. It was it was just kind of weird to me. Good callback to earlier with the kangaroo when her mom says she has to put Riley out of his misery. Really well done there, and a great oh shit moment when Max bursts into the room, but she sees that it's really him. But we see that it's really him outside the room. And it is, in fact, an imitation. And then, holy shit, she stabbed her real dad in the neck with scissors. That's tough to come back from. That's tough. Great set of scenes to set up for our ending. And here's the ending. Jade takes a call from Mia, who says she knows what to do to save him. Jade says she thinks he's getting better. Mia says every second is agony for him. She asks Jade to come over and trust her. Be there in 10, and she heads to her car. We see Mia is in the parking lot and watches Jade leave. She walks into Riley's room and Sue confronts her. She apologized to Mia saying there were no drugs. He had an episode. She says she is family and Mia asks for a moment alone. Jade honks the horn at Mia's house, but no one appears. Mia says sorry to Riley. His IV bag turns red and Mia sees a very battered person in Riley's place. You can't take him, the spirit says. Mia hovers and pulls scissors out her back pocket and goes to kill Riley. But the moment is too big yet again and doesn't stab him. I want to feel you, the spirit says. Mia hears the kangaroo groans and sees one hop away. Jade sees Max in the house, who's still alive and barely breathing. Jade calls Sue and tells her Mia is dangerous. Sue sees Riley missing, and Jade makes it back to the hospital. She sees Mia pushing Riley in a wheelchair towards the highway. She gets right by the road as Jade yells her name. Rhea grabs her shoulder, saying she's proud of her. Take him, my darling. You're doing the right thing. I can protect him. We see a car crash as someone jumps into their windshield. Mia lies in the middle of the road. We see her stand up, battered and bruised. 
she sees Jade with Riley and she's in the hospital halls now. Mia sees Riley healed up and her dad walking down the hall, not answering her. Lights begin to shut off as she sees Jade and Sue walking out of the hospital with Riley. She sees her mangled fingers and chases after her dad who leaves in an elevator. She cries in the dark until she hears a match light. She walks toward the flame and holds the hand reaching out. Mia appears at her ritual and the man says, I let you in as the film ends. Brian, what'd you think about that ending? Oh man, I love it. Um, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be an A24 movie without some sort of twist, but is it even really a twist? I mean, come on, twist his dick! Honestly, I, I never expected Riley to die. I mean, no, I didn't see it ending this way, but also the movie did such a good job of laying this out and showing the downward spiral from Mia anyway. You know, a, a, a tragic sort of ending with her was was always kind of coming, and very good choice. Uh I love the light there at the end where you think that she may be going to heaven and then it ends up being someone else doing the doing the hand. And it's just a realistic twist, if you even want to call it that. The old dick twist. Hey, left left thing. I know Dustin's not going to want to hear this. Left things open for a sequel. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty diabolical of Mia to lie to Jade like that. But how did Jade not see Mia's car? She was parked like 30 feet away and just sitting with the seat all the way up in the driver's seat. Like, come on. Plan almost backfired when Sue was there, though. At least I thought, oh, shit, how's she going to do it now? Disgusting to see the toothless old dead person in bed in Riley's place. Maybe the most unsettling part of the whole movie to me. I'm not sure how people in the hallway didn't hear Mia screaming and see her holding scissors over her head, though. But, okay. Uh, Also not sure how she managed to sneak a patient out of his room, out of the hospital like that. I'm... Whatever. I'm nitpicking, I guess. Another great callback to the kangaroo earlier. That's well done. Tense moment when she's got Riley at the road in the wheelchair. I really like how it was shot after that. The ending is phenomenal. Uh, She's dead but doesn't realize it. And she sees her life going dark all around her as she goes into the afterlife. And then she's on the other side of the candle hand and hand ritual. That was awesome. It sets up the possibility of a sequel, like you said, Brian. Even though I'm not necessarily a fan of sequels all the time, don't necessarily want one. It was just incredible writing, and we are getting a sequel. They've already confirmed it, so I'll be there to see it no matter what. Um, I also I have questions. I'm not sure how her dying saved Riley's life, but I'll allow it. I'll just chalk it up to what Cole said earlier. The spirit kicked itself out uh, because it was you know tired and been in there too long. And I'm not sure if Max made it or not, because we see him walking down the hallway and get into the elevator. So I'm not sure if he was alive, but we didn't see any bandages on his neck. And I don't know that he would be up and walking out of the hospital like that, that soon after being stabbed in the neck by his daughter. So I think that he's dead as well. And him getting on the elevator and the lights uh, closing or going off in the elevator as it closes. I think that symbolizes he's dead as well. I just don't know. It would uh, almost but, be more. It would almost be more tragic if he was alive. I mean, he had to, his yeah. wife and his daughter both being dead. Like, kind of hope the dude is dead. To be honest with you, right, right. And also, it makes you wonder. Like, he got on an elevator, which is you know symbolic. Can be symbolic. Is he going up to heaven, True. down to hell? So maybe he True. doesn't have to linger in this afterlife purgatory that Mia is now stuck in. But it's a fantastic end to a great movie to me. First of all, there's no way that guy's not dead. He got stabbed in the freaking neck. He was still he was alive bleeding. when Jay found him. Though. Like, but he was bleeding like crazy. Like in like in real life, that dude's bleeding now. He's dying. But anywho, 
Um, let's jump over to social media and read our comments and questions. We'll do X, formerly known as Twitter, first. Andrew Ferguson commented, since it isn't on any of the 15 VOD services I subscribe to, I need one of y'all's digital download codes to be able to provide my Pythi rejoinder. Sorry, brother. I don't have one for you. I gave the uh, code. The only code I had to Brian. <laughs> yep. I was going to say, huh? I had to get it from somebody else myself. Hey. Whoa. All right. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> that guy, Damn. knife emoji, football emoji, and hockey emoji commented, whoa. I have yet to see this oh. film, and I cannot wait to see it. I'll have to watch this prior to your review. I imagine it will be a good one. Love the show, fellas. Absolutely. Hey, definitely check it out. It's definitely a good movie. You think he Randy has a shirt Smith. that says, I love sports? Like it's from Big Bang Theory. He goes, I like, go sports. Yeah. <laughs> and Randy Theory. Smith commented with uh, <laughs> Tom Atkins from Season of the Witch screaming to the phone with A24 and four puking emojis. That's insane. <laughs> like, the funny this thing is, is, Brian picked this. Yeah, and this yep. is not your typical A24. Like, this is not Ari Aster. This is pretty much a standard movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Let's jump over to Instagram now. Director underscore Terrence McLeod commented, Creep me the F out. Love how they use the hand almost as a drug initially. Side note, that kid really fudged himself up. I was like, damn, that's enough. Overall, good film. Loved how she ended up being on the inside. Keep up the good work, fellas. My go-to movie podcast. Fire emojis. Love the cinematography. Laughing emojis. Insider joke. I love that. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Jesse Craft coming. Yes, one of the better modern horror movies. Enjoyed it, even though the ending was predictable. That's fair. Horror Chick 37 commented, going to listen to the podcast and then decide if it's worth a watch. Laughing emoji. That's the it amount is. of trust I put into you guys. Nice. Appreciate it that. Is. But we always encourage people to watch the movie, then listen to us. Yeah. Don't spoil Not me, it. listen to us. Spoil that <laughs> shit first. <laughs> I should remember to Facebook. Joe Swin for coming. I'll give it props for doing something new and different but not my favorite of the year. I'm with you, Joe. Uh, Michelle Merza commented, I saw this in the theater and really enjoyed it. I give it a lot of credit for doing something original. See, listen, Hollywood, people want original. Cheyenne, see, I, I got her name right this week. Cheyenne nice. Turner, probably, in my opinion, the best horror movie from 2023. My daughter and her friend were jumping out of their seats. It was something new, different, looked beautiful, well-acted, and some parts were fucking scary. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Dex Cole commented, dude, this movie was great. Not just from a creepy perspective, but I really feel it had a message of peer pressures and other elements. Happy New Year's, boys. Thanks for making my days at work go by. And I replied, thanks for listening, Dex, a.k.a. hashtag Dustin's Burner account. Uh, (laughs) About the peer pressure. That was a good point there. Yeah. And the last thing we got is from Cheyenne Turner again. And she asked a question. So do you guys think Mia pushed herself into the road or did Jade push her? And then oh. she replied back, this movie definitely is rewatchable because there's stuff you missed the first time, for sure. I think Mia pushed her own I think she jumped. I think so, too. But, I mean, they really yeah. – they leave it up for interpretation, but it's also – I don't think it's crucial to know it one way or another because I could definitely see Jay doing it. She gets down there and she sees her brother hanging over the ledge of the of the bypass there uh, or the interstate exit ramp, whatever the hell that was. Um, <laughs> I could see her being like, no, like shoving her out of the way to get to Riley. But also, I mean, she was right there at the road. She was going to do it to someone. I don't know. Right. I think it was smarter than to leave it ambiguous because, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, either way, I don't know if you win with that, uh, you know, if you if you make it either way and show it. I, I think leaving it ambiguous is the way to go. I agree. But I, I, I do think that she, she jumped herself. Uh, y'all got any fun facts you want to share? 
when he when asked if he would make a sequel director, Danny Filippo said, oh, my gosh, yes, A24 would need the first one to be successful, though. Ha, 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 help me. Well, I think uh, I think we know how that turned out. Um, and I don't I don't have the budget. Don't know what the budget is, but this it. is the second highest grossing film in A24's history as of 2023. I got just a couple. So six hands were made for the movie. Should any of them happen to get damaged or broken? Two of them were broken and one is missing. And director Danny Filippo kept one of the hands. Uh, the film was banned in Kuwait due to the appearance of trans actor Zoe Terakis. Ter- 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 I'm not sure how to say uh, their name, but that's it. And then as far as the budget, since Money Mike's not here, I've got it. You don't have to remind me. Uh, budget was $4.5 million. <laughs> it recouped that. And then some doubled it. The opening week, opening weekend did ten million four hundred thirty-one thousand seven hundred twenty dollars, and then gross worldwide ninety-two million thirty-nine thousand dollars two hundred six. I said Ooh. that like it was my first time talking about money, but you get what I was saying. <laughs> saying there. <laughs> All right, guys, here's our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, Dustin, I'll kick us off. Then you can go read Mike's and Brian. You can go last if you want to. Sure. Our rate, uh, favorite kill. I chose Duck It just because it was very shocking and it was a huge holy shit moment. Least favorite kill. I kind of, this might have been a cheap way to go, but I chose Rhea with her drug overdose in the dream sequence. Uh, and I just wrote a little paragraph. This is a movie I like but not love. Incredible di- directorial debut from the Filippo brothers. Great tension, cinematography, inside joke, sound, and got great acting performances from everyone. I think Riley's actor, Joe Bird, kills it in his gory scenes. He's phenomenal in his possessings as well. It was definitely refreshing compared to the constant requels and sequels. However, it still reminded me of other movies such as Insidious. The hand reminded me so much of the Lamberts or Elise going into the further and Mia going to look for Riley's soul, just more Insidious. Mia's third wheel love interesting annoyed me. None of that does anything for the story except for Daniel getting his toes sucked. Shout out to the Foot Fetish Gang. Nitpick, and this might be ridiculous. Dustin, you can tell me if this is ridiculous. But Sue not seeing the scissors in Mia's pocket in the hospital, I just didn't buy that at all. How do you not see fucking orange handles poking out of her back pocket? No way she doesn't see it. It was during my favorite set of scenes, but I also thought the ritual was played for novelty when that was supposed to be the scare factor. But I guess like they mentioned, like in some of our listeners mentioned, it was kind of like their drug, so I get it, but it's still kind of just like, eh. Anywho, still a good flick. I'll watch it again for sure, and I hope talk number to me explains a little more. I give it a seven and a quarter still. Seven and a quarter. I don't know. I think that is a little bit of a nitpick on your end, but I'll allow it. I mean, it's your opinion. That's fine. But you think Sue was checking me his ass out like that? How do you not say orange scissor handles there? You looking at someone's ass that much? I don't know. But all right. I'll uh, I'll go ahead and do mine, and then I'll read Mike. So favorite kill to me was Duckett at the beginning. It was shocking, pretty brutal, stabbed himself in the face. Least favorite kill was Mia's mom since it was off screen and that's a predominant character in the movie. We never, still never see really what happened. Uh, As far as my closing thoughts and rating, what a debut film from the Filippo brothers. Acting was great. Cinematography was great. Story was a fresh take. It wasn't necessarily a fresh idea because, I mean, we've seen movies with similar plots and everything, but it's a fresh take on it. And like you mentioned, Brian, with the social media and all that, everyone having their phone out at the party. I, I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend this movie. I give it a nine. And then let's jump over and I'll read what Mike says. Mike says, 
I really wanted to like talk to me more than I did. I think it's a visually stunning film, and I think the concept is cool, but I liken it to the movie Oculus, which, if you remember, I didn't love because I don't think mirrors are scary. I don't think that possessed hand statues are scary either, but there are positives. I think the acting is top-notch, and I already mentioned the visuals. I think this, uh, I think some of the dream, for lack of a better word, sequences run too long, and I thought the ending was a little predictable for an A24 film. I give the movie a 6.5. I like it, but it's not something I think I'll rewatch on purpose. All right. Mike, thinks, I wish Mike was here because I want to ask him why he thinks the hand was possessed. Anyway, um, my favorite kill was uh, Duck is stabbed in the face of the star. And my least favorite kill, I actually put Mia because we don't really see it because of the twisters that we get. But uh, just really quickly, I loved seeing a horror movie that, like I said, it had good character development uh, and was an A24 film that wasn't a complete fucking clusterfuck of a script and actually had some heart to it. I, I, I loved it. It's by far my favorite A24 film, and I'm giving it an eight, a 9.25. 9.25. All right, that gives us a composite score of an 8. IMDb has it as a 7.1. Pretty damn close. Pretty damn close. Uh, I just want to add one more thought that I forgot to write down. It also reminded me of another horror movie called Truth or Dare. Uh, you know, it's like some shit happens and they have to go back to the original person that they got it from, you know, I mean, and like you guys mentioned, this is a fresh take on a formula we've seen before, but it's just kind of a little bit of a nitpick, but nothing major. It's still a good movie. And I'm looking forward to the sequel. Let's shout out our blood donors and we'll announce Mike's pick for next week. Hope he's doing all right. Uh, we'll shout out Randy Smith, final guy donor. Go check his review out. We did it last week. Halloween three season of the witch. Dustin can't stop talking about how much he loves the Silver Shamrock song. <laughs> Camper level reoccurring. Clayton J. Nina, Michelle Merza, the Horror Movie Crew podcast. Alex Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Kelsey Miller, my boy CJ, Christopher James, and Michael Evans. Camp Counselor reoccurring. Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia. Adrian Aiello, Karen, Brian Samick, Andrew Ferguson, Matt Strickland, and Brooke Maley. Really appreciate all of our blood donors. It means a lot to us. Uh, yes. I'll go ahead and announce Mike's pick for next week. Uh, we're we're doing a found footage flick for Mike. That's kind of a surprise. I'm not really sure he's a big found footage guy, but I know he's spoken highly of this one in the past. It's 2015 or 2016's Hell House LLC. I'm looking forward to reviewing it. I hate taking notes on a found footage flick, to be honest with you. It's kind of fucking hard. Pause. Yeah. But – uh. Looking forward to reviewing that movie. Uh, any final thoughts, guys, on Talk to Me? I wish it was Hell House LL Cool J, but LLC will work. <laughs> hey, well, we're going to review Deep better. Blue Sea down the road. Don't you worry, my friend. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.